Welcome to Art Lovers Forum. If your art collecting has been focused on paintings and drawings, please don't miss this episode of Art Lovers Forum with artist Robin Schwab. Robin is a quilt maker who introduces textile art into the world of pop culture. Her creations make you stop, stare, and think, I would like to look at that every day. That is exactly why Robin has become so popular. Her graphically compelling quilts combine the digital realm of manipulated photography with the extremely analog craft of stenciling, screen printing, patchwork, applique, and quilting. She also explores the rich variety of the written word, balancing an appreciation of their abstract beauty with the desire to include the found art of relevant texts. Subject matter might be drawn from her travels, the urban environment, film and or audio video technology, or even mannequins. Robin's quilts have been widely shown in both juried and invitational exhibitions in the United States, Europe, and Japan. The list of exhibits are just so long to list now, so you'll find them in the essay accompanying this podcast. It's a huge wow factor. A native of New York City, Robin studied painting at the State University of New York at Binghamton, receiving her BA in 1974. Today, Robin is going to tell us what we need to know about textile art and why we should be paying more attention to it. Robin, sincerely, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. I want to know, when did you realize that you wanted to be an artist? Oh, I... I've been a creative person forever. When I was very, very little, my mother described me in three words as dreamy, stubborn, and creative. And I'd have to say 71 years later, nothing has changed. (laughs) Uh, I, I just, so it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of deciding to be an artist. I just am an artist. That's an interesting way of putting it. How how did you, I mean, what did you feel that was different than other children your age? Well, I I can't say because all I can, all I knew was my own experience, but I was always uh, drawing and making little things and sewing. I sewed from a very young age. So that was, that was very important. Um, I, uh, I just kept going, um, and as you mentioned, I, I studied painting in college, and I'd also studied painting beforehand. And I went to the uh, the uh, Art Students League afterwards for a couple of classes, but painting was not really what floated my boat. Um, textiles really did. Uh, people often ask. Uh, you know, why textiles, why quilt making? And uh, I think that most people who work in fiber, uh, in the broader uh, definition of fiber, which includes a lot of different disciplines, um, it's not that you chose to work in the fabric. The fabric chose you. 
you you don't feel you had a choice. It was just so um, beautiful and varied and tactile and challenging um, in a way that that kind of smearing paint around on a canvas wasn't as satisfying to me. I can do that if I need to, but I really prefer to work with fabric. Hmm. That's amazing. But how did you learn your craft? Well, um, I, as I say, I, I was sewing from a very young age. I know that my mother took um, a millinery class when I was very young. And I perhaps the example of seeing her trying to make a dress. And I, she never finished the dress. Um, we did own a sewing machine when I was growing up, but um, I didn't use it until I think I was in junior high school when I had a millinery class. But I was doing hand sewing and little felt appliques, and I would take my my allowance and go to the five and dime store uh, where they had rectangles of different colored felt. And I loved looking through the different colors of the felt. And I was very disappointed when I realized that they they weren't replenishing the stock. And they were kind of down to white and orange and brown, which I didn't like that combination particularly. But I think that I had bought all the other colors. Um, and I would make little appliques and covers for the parakeet's cage. And I made a little felt applique for my brother who was going through his dinosaur phase. And um, it just kind of expanded from there. I made my some of my own clothing, and in uh, so I could sew pretty well by hand, and I could sew pretty well on the machine. And then in high school, there was a teacher who wanted to teach about textiles, and um, an art teacher. She had been in West Africa recently and was very inspired and brought it back and, and taught some of those techniques. And we, we didn't make quilts. That was about the only thing we didn't do. But we did applique. We did weaving. We did uh, various kinds of embroidery. And um, that really focused me. Uh, and it was a very exciting time. I'd come home and I'd do homework like crazy for the class because I just loved it so much. So that's kind of that's kind of the beginning. Then um, after college, my first job was as a hand weaver for a company in the garment district. Uh, in other words, their clients would bring in samples of fabric and they. They'd ask, you know, can you can you weave fabric like this for me, but you know, make it green instead of blue, and and can you do it cheaper? And so they had a a, a coloring department that would figure out the uh, the weaving drafts, and a weaving department of which I was one of the weavers, and we'd weave up little sample swatches for them, um, and. 
it, that was interesting, and I did get some fabric from them when they cleaned out their research files periodically. I we get fabric from the garbage can, but um, more importantly, there was a woman, uh, another weaver in the department uh, named Judy. Hill, Jude Hill, and she's still quite active. And um, she uh, is on Instagram as Spirit Cloth and is a teacher and, and it quite influential to a lot of people. And uh, so on our coffee breaks, we'd sit and sew. And she told, she taught me um, the the English style of patchwork, which is different than the American style. But that's where I, I really first started doing patchwork and becoming interested in traditional quilts. Um, and I soon start, switched over to the American style of patchwork, um, which to, to a civilian audience would look the same, but it's actually sewn in a slightly different way. Um, and I never looked back. And this was in the mid-70s, and there was tremendous interest in quilt making. Um, with the bicentennial, uh, there was tremendous in interest in traditional American crafts, including quilt making. Uh, there was the Great American Quilt Festival. Um, in 1971, a little bit before this, there the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York had a show that it was, uh, you know, the the bomb that went off around the world for crafters um, and quilt makers of my generation can just mention the Whitney show and everybody understands what you're talking about. It was a private collection of Jonathan Holstein and Gail Vanderhoof where they took traditional quilts and Amish quilts in particular and hung them on the wall rather than use them as bed covers. They appreciated them as abstract art. And with the you know, the blessing, the Whitney's blessing, um, you know, hordes of people came to see this show and it was enormously, enormously influential. And so I just kept making my quilts. Um, there were lots of magazines at the time uh and, you know but would have patterns and that's how i started with quilt making it wasn't until gosh almost 10 years later that i actually hooked up with uh groups of quilt makers in new york there was empire quilters um but there was also a small uh professional by invitation group called Manhattan Quilters Guild uh, to which I still belong and I can't overemphasize uh how important this group has been to me in my artistic development um around the same time that I joined that the Manhattan Quilters which was in 1986 just before then I had I had started tentatively to design my own quilts rather than rely on on traditional American pat patchwork patterns, and joining that group kind of reinforced my desire to do something more personal. So they were still um, 
very much color studies and, and kind of formal compositions, just playing around with that. But it was soon after that that I started adding language to my quilts, and that really was my eureka moment. You know, why had I, why had I not done that before? Um, I'd never done it in my paintings, despite the influence of, of kind of pop art at the time and the cubist beforehand of, of incorporating writing into their paintings. But once I put the language in uh, the first quilt, I did it in with let X equal X. Um, there was no looking back. And I continue to explore the language and incorporate text in my work to this day. I think that's a very, very, very long answer to your question. I hope I have answered. to say that I started this podcast, Robin, for people, uh, you know, to hear artists, collectors, and um, I forgot <laughs> artists, collectors, and um, gallerists, you know, to discuss art, but never before. In all my time of meeting those people and having this podcast, have I ever heard anybody explain the journey to get into their craft as well as you just did? So it makes me now feel that I have to really get other artists to listen to this particular podcast, but maybe many more in the future, to, to be able to identify with what they do and compare them to what you just said. I think what you just said is a kind of gift that you got from your higher power that is that enables you to to create these uh, fabulous pieces of work for the rest of us to enjoy. And this is not, I'm not trying to compliment you. I'm not trying to be your best friend. All I'm trying to do is explain to people that it's listening to this podcast the joy of what you just told them and how they should appreciate it. And it's just part of life. And whether they do or not, you certainly did one of the best jobs. So thank you very much for that. Which brings me to a question, because I always get very attracted to clothes, blouses, skirts, slacks that have numbers on them that say something. I don't, in fact, I recently bought, I buy the, I, in my old age, I'm buying like the most inexpensive clothes off of Amazon. And there's one particular pattern that I bought as a blouse. And now I saw, saw it as kind of a jacket. And it's all about writings. And they, they don't say anything in particular, but it's just very attractive to me. What is it about numbers and the language that makes art so attractive? Um, well, uh, that's such a big question. Um, I, I, I'm looking, I, I actually have my, my website open on my desktop computer and, um, I'm looking at the different fabrics that I've used and the different fabrics that I've created in making the quilts and language, um, and the suggestion of language, you know, the scribbles that you described uh in the clothing that you buy off amazon um there there's it's maybe it's the the 
implied presence of people with the language, the common or or um, not common language, you know, the language that we do or don't share. Um, but it, but the the inclusion of language is always implying the presence of people, even if there isn't um, an image of a person. Uh, animals, of course, many animals have a language that they understand, but uh, and means of communicating to each other, but not a written language that really does set humans apart. And um, it, I, I just find language so beautiful. I think a lot of people do. I'm I'm drawn to different styles of calligraphy. Um, I'm just fascinated by fonts and typography. And I also love the meaning of language. And um, I really enjoy reading. And uh, I, I, you know, I kind of smash those interests together visually in my quilt. So sometimes it's scribbling and sometimes it's a very specific message. Um, and sometimes it's quite playful as in uh, my quilt, Life Begins at 40, when I used variations on what graphic designers called Greeking, which is a temporary text uh, that you use to create a layout. Uh, when you don't yet have the finalized right. version of the mm. text. Um, so I played around with that, and I threw in a little bit uh, from Handmaid's Tale. And, you know, I, I, I love to play around with it as well. So it can be both serious and playful at the same time, meaningful and playful. That is so visual. You gave me such a visualization. It's very powerful. So, so... I, um, so I need to know what messages do you want to convey in your pieces of work? Oh, it, it varies so much. I mean, it, the subject matter really varies. Um, so there's not an overarching uh, message. Um, maybe it's just look more closely and carefully. Um, there are times when, even though I'm almost always using text, I'm often disguising it or I'm making it difficult to read in some way um, because I really am a visual artist. And if you're standing there, you know, reading along as if you're reading the page of a book or off a teleprompter, I've failed because you're not seeing the overall image. So I'd like to work on a lot of different levels. And I, that may be one of the reasons that I'm drawn to quilts, because quilts are layered. You have the top layer, which is decorative, and then the stuffing and then the backing. And so the, I, I like the, the, the visuals to be layered as well as the actual thing. The quilt itself is layered. Hmm. Very interesting. So it depends on the day, the day, the time, and what what you've been experiencing is going to like surface in your work. Uh, 
to some extent, yes. I mean, the, you know, certain quilts do have particular themes. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just again, I'm looking at my website uh, at the the page with this assortment of my work, and you know, uh, in one case, I have test pattern over and over and over again, and the title of the quilt is text test patterns. And it shows um, three figures, two men and a, wo a woman. The woman is me, and the two men are the two fellows that I worked with um, at the Metropolitan Museum. And uh, we were a team uh, that installed media equipment in the galleries. That was uh, pretty much the final thing I did for the museum. Um, and that really is about the the pleasure and the challenges of the particular job that I had um, with the uh, life begins at forty. It's that I mentioned before. It's it's greeking um, and it's uh, which actually, even though it's called greeking, it's based on Latin. So uh, if you see the quilt, you'll see the, the detail from the Sistine Chapel, from the Sistine ceiling by Michelangelo, of the two hands of God and Adam, God reaching towards Adam to give him the spark of life. Uh, it's kind of a visual pun, but it, it, it uh, references Rome and Latin. Uh, the next one... To the side of it is uh, called Um With Her, and that is um, visually, it's as if it were two frames of 35 millimeter film from an old school contact sheet. Uh, it's images of the Statue of Liberty, in one, one case, it's uh, pretty much straight ahead of the statue holding the torch aloft against the background. Um, of the sky, except uh, it's made up of little tiny squares, and the Emma Lazarus's poem it spells out square by square in the background behind the statue. And then the adjoining image is of the statue, a close-up, wearing a pussy hat with her hand raised in a fist. Um, so it's really... It, it started off very much uh, about the Women's March, but it also is about immigration and the importance of immigra immigrants to America, to enrich America. My family uh, was immigrants, uh, late 19th, early 20th century, who settled in New York. Um, and uh, also the Statue of Liberty is kind of a neighbor uh, near where I live. So I go wave to her in the harbor frequently. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. The next one over, also very strongly feminist. Um, I was invited to participate in an, a quilt exhibition about suffragists, American suffragists. And the... Um, the drill was pick a suffragist and make a quilt. And, you know, there were certain size parameters, no smaller than, no bigger than. Um, but otherwise, you really could do what you wanted to. And I picked Amelia Bloomer, who was a New Yorker originally. She wound up in, in um, 
Iowa, I think. But uh, she uh, originally actually was, um, her big issue was temperance, but she uh, came to, um, came to believe in the women's right to suffrage and her, her the issue with which she's most closely identified is this reform clothing known as the bloomer style with you know instead of being all corseted it was a much more natural um, kind of silhouette with uh, long tunics over pants loose pants uh, and it was very controversial at the time. It's hard to it's hard to imagine when everybody kind of slept around in in uh, leisure wear of how uh, astoundingly um, controversial it was to the point that even the old school feminists of the time, Susan B. Anthony and that crowd. They gave up wearing this reform clothing style because it just was so distracting um, that it took away from the message of getting the vote for women. Um, and Isn't I just, that amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing. But the reason that I chose her, and you, you'll appreciate this, Lois, is that when I was growing up, we called girls' panties bloomers. Right. And I had no idea that why and i doubt that anybody in my family knew at that point you know in the 50s and 60s um but it was because of amelia bloomer and her close identification with that the style the bloomer style so um that is all very i always seem to be very long-winded about everything but <laughs> no, you know I, it's really most people will not know what you just said so that was a great a great you know piece to tell us about that's very interesting and i have lots of bloomers so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm buying and after this conversation i'm going out to buy some more so oh, good. so so while you <laughs> while you're doing all this talking and everything Tell us what your studio looks like, especially oh. when you were speaking before about when you had your early career and where you were working and you got all these fabrics from the from the garbage cans. I have no idea of what your studio looks like and where it is. So, you know, we need to know that to connect all the dots of everything that you've been talking about. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to suggest that I was only getting fabric from the garbage can. No, but, no, no. But you did. You got no, some, yes. And it, and it was, I mean, it was not out on the street. It was within the uh, office. The, you know, right. They cleaned out the research files right. of right. whatever they'd been buying. You know, there would be little sample swatches, so we'd, we'd get them. Um, Yes. Well, my studio used to be in our apartment, but I now have a separate studio space in the same building. Um, it was a studio apartment, uh, so it has a little kitchenette, which is great. I can have my lunch down here and not interrupt and get interrupted. Um, let's see. I have two design walls that are covered with the foam core that's covered with the uh, fabric. So I can pin 
as I'm working, I can pin things into the wall directly, you know, and if I do, if it's not working, I take the pin out and replace it with a different fabric. So it's, it's so much um, easier for me to design when I can look at it, uh, you know, in front of me rather than try to imagine it on the tabletop. So I have these two big design walls. I have one kind of bridge-sized table with my sewing machine. Um, I have one big work table that tends to be dedicated to the, the to the cutting fabric or um, fusible applique, whatever I need to do on my quilts. Uh, I have another smaller table where I do paper and mixed media collages. Um, and it's not that I can't do anything, you know, anything on any table, but I tend right. to leave supplies out. So there's so much stuff on that table that it really, you know, <laughs> it just that. It's like everyone's and, desk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I have um, a tall bookcase and a lower bookcase all full of, of uh, books about quilts, about art. Um, process books, um, any book that I've ever quoted on a quilt, I have a section for them, um, magazines and so forth. And then I have the fabric. And I used to just pile it up on the shelves, but um, it, it was just too messy and too hard to find things. So a couple of years ago, I started using um, plastic file boxes and sorting the fabric by color. So now if I need something that's kind of a bluish purple, I can go to that box. Uh, and gosh, I have several dozen of them and I probably could fill another dozen if I really needed to. And then I, I also have my quilts. I roll them rather than fold them. So they're rolled mm. around. Um, Pool noodles, believe it or not, mostly, yeah. uh, and then covered with with uh, unbleached muslin. Um, let's see. And what I kind also, of, what kind of square feet are we talking about? Um, I think it's probably about seven hundred square feet. Oh, that's large. Very it's large. large. It's large. This is such. It's, this is such a luxury, I have to say, because um, every most of what I just described to you, uh, except for the second work table, that was all in our apartment, oh in about God. a third of the space. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, you know, there was like this little tiny, you have this enormous desk, but you only have, you know, six square inches to work on because there's so much crap on it. Excuse my French. Um, right. So that's the way it was. That's the way it was when I still was working out of the apartment. And I managed to get an awful lot done, but uh, it it was just harder physically. This is this incredible luxury of space. So I have right now on my walls, I have two little quilt tops. I just finished, and these um, these are kind of baby quilt size, and I made them specifically for charities, for a couple of charities. 
I have another piece that's been on my wall so long. Um, maybe this is the year I'll finally finish it. Uh, then I have on the other wall, I have two other pieces in progress. Um, one is, gosh, one might be on the theme of E Pluribus Unum, but I'm not sure yet. I know it'll have language. It'll have a lot of language, lots and lots of it. But I, I'm not quite sure what the text is yet. And the other one is a follow-up many years later to one of my quilts called Hear the Difference. But this one, uh, that one was about the sense of hearing. This one is going to be about the um, the sense of, of seeing, of vision. That's wonderful. How how wh how many hours do you put in the studio? I mean, you get up every day, you do whatever the responsibilities are that you do, and you know, I mean, where can we find you? Two hours a day, uh, every day, or some uh, some days you skip. What's what's your life like in the studio? Well, I I'm retired from my full time job. So, um, and I'm older, so everything takes longer. And part of the, part, part of the um, pleasure of being retired and not having to like get up early, I'm not a, I'm not a morning person, um, is that I can take my time and kind of luxuriate in the time. But I'm usually down here, I would say by 10 o'clock. And when I say down here, in my studio, right. um, and you know, I whatever business I have to take care of, you know, email and so forth. Um, and I can't say I work continuously, but I'm, I'm usually here till six o'clock at night, and that's that's kind of when I'll call it a day, unless I'm working on deadlines. Um, and uh you know there it just it varies i mean i'm not always in my studio i do go out and look at art quite a lot but um a day in the, that describes a day in the studio but do you feel isolated there or do you is that exactly what you want um it it really is what i want it really is what I want. I, I mean, you have to understand, I'm looking out my window now um, at one of the main streets of my neighborhood. And so uh, I'm not isolated. Uh, there That's is, an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, your window, your window doesn't talk back to you. No, my window doesn't talk back to me. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not an unreasonable question. And there are times when um, I do miss companionship, but uh, you know, from from moment to moment. But um, uh, I have I'm very active in two different artist groups that that I belong to. Uh, I mentioned Manhattan Quilters Guild before. Um, I'm also very active in Textile Study Group of New York. Um, in fact, I'm the chair of their speaker committee. We have a monthly program where we have an outside speaker. 
I'm I'm involved, very involved with that. I also am one of the newsletter um, contributors and uh, a contributing editor, I guess. And I'm um, I research exhibitions and other you know symposia and so forth of interest to the membership. And someone else formats it and makes it look beautiful, gets the, the the pictures and so forth. But I do the basic research, so that keeps me pretty busy too, and it keeps me involved with other oh, that's, people. That's good to know. Are there other are there any other extraordinary things you do that we should know, like jumping out of a plane, or you're, no. you're a or you're a chef, or you finance a restaurant in your area, or you you know, you play the, you're a day trader. I mean, I want, I don't want this podcast to finish without knowing something about you that someone else is going to tell me in the future that I didn't know through this interview. Um, well, I don't think so. I used to, I used to be quite the baker of cookies and I've kind of cut back in the last few years. I mean, uh, you know, to, to a crazy degree. And, um, I I I would rather be making quilts. So yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, so I just want to add that my mother crocheted a lot of quilts. Mm-hmm. But they were they were like the kind of quilts that mommy's made. And um I have them all and if anybody in my family listens to this podcast, they're going to like say, "Why do you have them all?" I never told any, everyone. Maybe they have a few, but I've got them all. You know, the, the bulk of it. And I have them kind of rolled up in my personal closet and safeguarded there. And after speaking to you, I'm going to take them out and maybe I'll display them and have people come look at it or maybe give them to charity. I'm not giving them to any members of my family because I don't think that they would, they'll throw it on the floor and they'll, you know, have their pets climb all over it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in having that happen. However, my mother crocheted all the time and made beautiful quilts. So I'm telling you this because, uh, let me see, why am I telling you this? Because uh, I think that, you know, there's a world for these quilts, and I want to see what she did with them that could, you know, add something else to the world. But that's not why I told you. I forgot why I even mm-hmm. brought this up. Let me see. I'm taking the, I have no idea. But um, I just feel that, it's such a talent to do this and people can't do what you did that it's just remarkable that you have this, this talent. And it's, it's really so admirable that I'm just wondering, like, you know, just tell everybody where you exhibit, where they could buy your, you know, your work. Oh, well, I don't, I, I don't have a gallery. Um, I, they can visit my website www.robinschwalb.net, um, and uh, they can contact, contact me. They can see the work there, and they can contact me through the website. Um, do I, you do? Do you put prices next to the um, I I don't on my website. They can contact me, and we can discuss. Um, I, I don't, I haven't done that many commissions, although I'm looking at a big one now, which was fabulous. Um, uh, 
John M. Walsh III, Jack Walsh, had previously bought one of my quilts and he commissioned me uh, to make I'm with her, um, which was just fabulous. Um, in terms of where else they can see them, uh, Manhattan Quilters Guild has, uh, we put together traveling shows. We, our seventh traveling exhibition is about to debut in, um, in April at the International Quilt Museum in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is just a fabulous organ, a, a fabulous institution. Um, I don't, I don't think the whole tour is together yet, so I can't rattle off all the venues. But I, my work does show quite frequently. Um, the the textile study group of New York uh, has a web gallery. Uh, it's twice a year, and I usually participate in that. So they can go to the website tsgny.org. Uh, and look at the gallery, and you'll see work by many, many, many accomplished artists, just extraordinary work. Okay, that's great. I would like them, I would like as many people as possible to go to your website, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. We need to finish this because this is like an hour. So, so okay. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, um, what are your goals for the future, or don't you have them? I mean, are you, satisfied with what you've done or you say to yourself the next five years I want to do this I mean I, I want to keep making more <laughs> but okay. not more but not more of the same um, I, I'm uh, right now I, I, I've been making a whole series of uh, small quilts small 40 by 40 for for a couple of different charities and, and it's acting as kind of a palate cleanser while I catch my breath and figure out the next step but um I you know I have so many ideas it it's kind of I'd like to let them uh percolate for a while in my brain and whatever whatever is most insistent and keeps jump into the, the you know the head of the line that's the next one so i'm in i'm in that um that that period where i'm i'm thinking about i'm making small quilts on the one hand but i'm waiting to see what's going to jump to the head of the line on the other mm -hmm. and oh. and and you know I, I would I I would like to follow up on uh, the series about my experience of working at the Metropolitan Museum. Um, I, I, I have an, another idea in mind. Um, I recently, believe it or not, I made a quilt about uh, at an old beloved TV series called Homicide Life on the Street. And even though it's been off the air for 20 years, and I... I, I know I, it well. I mourn, I mourn the passing, and I'm not kidding, of Andre Brower, who was... Oh, my God. So do I. I was... Oh, my God. I can't believe we're, we're, we, are, we are connected by the hip. 
or if that's not the expression. I cannot believe you said that. Oh my God. So I, I, and when you, know, you what, by the way, when he died, I looked at his obit. I mean, the guy is a brilliant guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You hesitated. I thought for a second maybe I got the wrong guy. You you paused too long. No, no, absolutely. He was um he was magnificent, amazing actor. Um I'd like to follow up with other characters from that series. I've done, you know, Frank and Tim, now I wanna go and maybe I'll do the Bells. Uh, Richard Bells are also passed away last year. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to, uh, there's a quilt about my family my, and myself and my two siblings I'd like to make. Um, and then there's there's just the playful, you know, just throw fabric together and, you know, see what happens. So um, a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas. Well, that's wonderful. I have to tell you, you are just a joy. You are unbelievable. You make me feel like I've done nothing my whole life. And anyone else that's listening to this, I mean, the richness of what you are enjoying is so wonderful for other people that I know that just have lost their way in this world or never had, or never had a direction. I just pray that they listen to this podcast in a way that they could find something that provides such happiness for them. You're very lucky. You know, I, I wish you a thousand more years to produce, and we have to do a second podcast to hear about this whole homicide, you know, side of you and what you're going to work on and where the world of textiles is going, fiber in the future. You just have so much to tell us, so I hope you will do that again. I kind of feel like if you're not a Seinfeld fan, fan, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But Kramer found the Merv Griffin set someplace for some garbage can someplace, set it up in his apartment and interviewed people. And they would come in thinking that they were actually being broadcasted. <laughs> they would say, where are the cameras? And he would just talk to them and have the joy of interviewing them without anything happening. It was hysterical. And so I kind of feel that I'm doing that with you right now because there's so much to discuss that we could go on forever. And I just appreciate it. And I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry that we did meet sooner. And I'm also, uh, when I go to New York next time, I definitely have to come by to see what you're all about there because that's probably, uh, I should probably bring a camera crew, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> but uh it's really a delight. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Lois.